be seated. Thank you. That is one of my favorite hymns. Thank you. Let's pray as we begin this morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's been a great journey the past few weeks as we've been studying this title of Father, which we so often use to refer to God. I know for me, I, I often do it unknowingly and unthinkingly. I mean, how often do I start a prayer by saying, Father God, but I don't pause to ponder what I'm actually referring to, what I'm actually saying. We've been working through our understanding of God the Father in these past weeks, even our hang-ups sometimes with that title. We've discussed the danger of leaning into a, a gendered understanding of God, who is certainly beyond our designations of human gender. We've discussed the ways in which we all too often form God in our image, rather than resting in the fact that we are indeed formed in his. We discussed the roadblocks of earthly fathers and how they can so easily injure our relationship with our heavenly father. Talked about the need to come to God the Father and say, would you father us, Lord? We're going to bring it all home today by asking a crucial question. How did Jesus understand the Father God? If Jesus is our pattern for life, then we must ask this question and understand what Jesus meant when he called God Father. So I want to do a little word study. I'm going to invite you to hang with me. We're going to move kind of quick today. Uh, I want to start by doing a word study, and it's this, this word Father. Jesus uses the word pater most frequently to refer to God as Father. Pater is simply the Greek word for Father. It's sort of a one-to-one -one translation from Greek to English. All the spectrum of the word Father that we sort of know in English, that's there in Greek as well. Jesus refers to pater hundreds of times in the Gospels. But the most staunch Jews of his time were not real comfortable with his usage of this word. When God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament, it's always used as a father of people, not as father of an individual. But Jesus uses this word in a very personal, a very knowing way, saying, my father. Pious Jews who are always aware of the gap between a holy God and sinful human beings would have never dared address God the Father as a, as a personal father. To speak of him with such familiarity was seen as compromising to the holiness of God. And it was a shocking way to speak to God that Jesus uses. But even more unique and interesting is the handful of times when we see a different form. Jesus uses the construction Abba Pater, or Abba Father. This is a really interesting combination. Uh, Abba is an Aramaic word. That's Jesus' uh, common language, the language that he spoke, his mother tongue. And it gets transliterated into Greek, so in Greek it's Abba as well. It's a riff off the Hebrew word for father, which is ab. And my guess is that if you've grown up in the church or you've read widely in the Gospels, that you might have heard that Abba, this word, uh, could be translated as daddy, sort of a playful word for God. That Abba was a way that a young child would refer to a loving father. You can imagine a child uh, learning to speak, and some of the first words might be dada or baba or abba, right? Many have claimed 
that this is evidence of the kind of warm and intimate relationship that Jesus shared with his father, and that we too, through relationship with Jesus, can call God our daddy. And while some of that's true, there is actually a problem with this, because daddy's probably not a great translation of Abba. I'm sorry if I've ruined any sermons that you've heard in the past. Here's why. Aramaic only has one word for father, and it's Abba. So really, Jesus did not have a choice of what word he was going to use in his mother tongue. I read numerous scholars this week who were kind of fighting back and forth about this, but I'm convinced that Abba can't only mean daddy in a childlike sense if there's no other word to use. So what makes Jesus' use of Abba so striking is not this translation of daddy, but rather that this name Abba can be used by all ages, all children. It can be a word of total dependence from a young child. It can be a term of reverence for a grown child. It's a title that levels the playing field for all of God's children. I find this to be pretty fascinating. If we put this together, Jesus uses the term Abba Pater, and my translation of that is Dearest Holy Father. Dearest Holy Father. Do you see what this tells us? Jesus is defining the Father both positionally and relationally. Here's where God is, and here's who God is. It tells us of the Father's transcendence and his imminence, his sovereignty and his intimacy. Let me illustrate this uh, by an example from my seminary days. In my Gospels class, a, a very, very rigorous class with a brilliant and demanding teacher, a Southern gentleman who was kind but also very, very firm, we would always start the class in prayer, and he would ask for a volunteer. And I just remember this one class where someone uh, volunteered. I don't remember this guy's name, but I sure remember what he looked like. He looked like he had just gotten out of the water after three hours of surfing in Malibu. He had bleached blonde hair, flip-flops, maybe no shoes at all. He had this incredible surfer accent. And his prayer went something like this. Hey, Daddy. How you doing today, Daddy? So good to talk to you today, Daddy. We're just here in this Bible class, and we want to hear from you and learn from you. So teach us, Daddy. Teach us. Okay, I'll talk to you later, Daddy. Amen. Now, it might sound like I'm making fun of him with that accent. Um, I'm actually not doing that. I, I think he was totally sincere. I think this was really heartfelt in every way. But I was most interested in how my professor was going to respond to this, actually. And after a few moments of silence, the professor said, Thank you for praying, but I feel like I need to tell you something very important right now. God is your father, and yes, he loves you, but he ain't your pal. That phrase really stuck with me. God is your father, and yes, he loves you, but he ain't your pal. This, in essence, is Jesus' view of the father. When he uses this phrase, Abba, Pater, there is an intimacy and love and warmth and grace and tenderness and relationship but there is also a positional reality that God, the Father, is not someone that we get to chum up with. When Jesus says, Abba, Father, he is asserting both God's sovereignty, high and holy God, who puts us rightly in our place, but also his nearness, that he's with us and he loves us. Now, one fair question that someone could ask is, can we really relate to the Father in the way that Jesus did? Because Jesus himself was fully God, like he kind of had an in on that relationship, right? Well, in John 14, verse 7, 
Jesus answers that question. He says this, if you know me, you will know my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. When we're in relationship with Jesus, we're given the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then we're tapping into that relationship that the Son himself had with the Father. It's the kind of relationship that he invites his disciples into. And in turn, I think we're invited into that kind of relationship as well. Henry Nouwen puts it this way. Calling God Abba Father is different from giving God a familiar name. Calling God Abba is entering into the same intimate, fearless, trusting, and empowering relationship with God that Jesus had. That relationship is called spirit. And that spirit is given to us by Jesus and enables us to cry out with him, Abba, Father. This is what Jesus invites us into, and it is a level playing field for all of God's children. So, there's the word study. Those are the actual words in the native language that Jesus used to speak of the Father. But he offers us more than words for us to understand how he understood the Father. He also offers us an enduring visual through the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus spoke this parable to an audience composed of both sinners and self-righteous religious leaders. Two groups that had a lot in common, though they probably didn't think they had a lot in common. Jesus offers both a stunning portrait of a father who responds to the behavior of these two sons, one a sinner and one who is self-righteous. And he also portrays a typical Middle Eastern father in many ways, one who held the, the patriarchal head of the household role, but he does so in a surprising way. The younger brother takes his inheritance to a far-off land. He squanders it on a party lifestyle. And when he awakens to the fact that the pigs that he's working with are eating better than he is, he realizes he's got to go home. and He's got to repent of his selfishness and seek to be restored. This is when the parable takes a turn and Jesus portrays the father in a way that no Middle Eastern patriarch would have been back then. In Jesus' time, uh, the Jewish community had a ritual that was pretty well known in Jewish towns. It was a ritual way of, of punishing sons who lost the family inheritance, especially those who squandered it in disgraceful ways. Angry villagers would gather together in support of this father, and they would conduct what was known as a ketzatsa ceremony. Ketzatsa ceremony. What it was was they would fill this large pot with, with burned nuts and burned corn and burned wheat, and they would gather around the sun, and they would smash the, the pot in front of him. And this earthenware pot would, would shatter. And as it did, the villagers would shout and chant together, So-and-so is cut off from his people, and he is disowned. That would be the cue for the son to leave the town for good and never come back. This was an actual ceremony that people did, and people knew about, and this son would have known about. But the father in this story does not follow that script, does he? <laughs> Instead of sitting at home, waiting for his wayward son to come groveling back to him, as any dignified Middle Eastern father would have done, this father in Jesus' story keeps a lookout for his son. And as soon as he spots him, 
as the text says, while he was still a long way off, he runs out and throws his arms around his wayward son and he showers him with kisses. It's safe to assume that by looking out and acting so quickly with so much tenderness that the father effectively is presenting or is preventing this ceremony from happening. He's getting there before any sort of ceremony can happen. Any sort of ceremony that would cut his son off from his family and from the community. I want you to sit with this image for a moment of the father running towards the son. I read uh, some fascinating stuff from theologian Kenneth Bailey this week who has lived most of his life in the Middle East, and he explains how astonishing a sight like this would have been. Look at this quote. Traditional Middle Easterns wearing long robes do not run in public. They never have. To do so would be deeply humiliating. The father runs knowing that in doing so, he will deflect the attention of the community away from his ragged son to himself. People will focus on the extraordinary sight of a distinguished, self-respecting landowner humiliating himself in public by running down the road, revealing his legs. <laughs> this is our father, my friends. <laughs> Ridiculous father running, showing his legs. That's our father. The older son is the other main character here. He's angered by his father's acceptance of the foolish younger brother. And once again, Jesus depicts the father in a way that was very countercultural. It would have been a great offense for any son to refuse a banquet thrown by his father for any reason. But instead of, of slapping his son and publicly rebuking him for his, for his petty sulking, which is what we would expect the father to do, the father humbles himself and leaves the feast in order to reach out to this angry son and explain the reason for celebration. What strikes me is how consistent God the Father is in this parable and how consistent it is with Jesus' own use of those words, Abba, Father, or dearest, holy Father. A holy Father who is feared by his sons in some sense, who in no way gives up the role of being a, being a patriarch, who is no pushover and acts willfully and purposefully, but yet is the dearest of fathers. He's loving and gracious and merciful and corrective and showering with kisses. A father who knows how to throw a party. All of this for two very different sons. One a lawbreaker and one a lawkeeper. Yet they were the same. Both having publicly offended their father with their selfish behavior. Both were offered not what they deserved, but what they needed. Extraordinary grace from their holy father who loved them. God is your father, and yes, he loves you, but he ain't your pal. As we put this all together, both Jesus' title for God the Father and, and the parable that so ably illustrates the Father, I have three takeaways for us this morning as we close. First, we should call God our Father, but we should do it in the fullest sense. We're missing out on the riches of life with God if we conceive of him as a father in merely a positional sense. God is high and holy and he's up here and I'm a little human and I'm way down here. God the Father is so much more than just a positional reality. But likewise, we ought to be wary of understanding God in the way that my beloved Californian colleague did. This is still a holy God, however loving and tender and gracious. If you have had an unbalanced understanding of God the Father or you've been influenced by a tradition that was unbalanced in this way, 
I would invite you to freely hold these truths this morning, that God is sovereign and holy, but he still runs to you, and he gets on your level. I pray that this might bring a balance of your view of God, just as I believe Jesus intended for us to have. Second thing is, God the Father knows what you need. Even today, God the Father knows what you need. God the Father is the same father for the younger son as he is for the older son. He does not change his character for his different children. So too, God knows what you need. God knows what I need. Some of you here today are sitting where you are, and you know that you desperately need grace. Some of you desperately need forgiveness. You need a ridiculous, undignified father to run to you, legs and all, and embrace you and shower you with kisses. You need him to throw you a party and celebrate you coming home to him. Others need a hand on the shoulder and a loving but firm corrective for your selfish and self-righteous ways. You need to place the Father in a position of authority in your life today. God meets us all equally and uniquely. It's a level playing field for all of us as children of God. Third, finally, Jesus' understanding of the Father is actually not an understanding. It's an invitation. And I want you to hear that invitation this morning. Jesus, in the words of John 17, says these words that are so potent for me as we talk about God the Father. He's sitting with his disciples in the upper room, and he tells them that the gift of the Holy Spirit is going to come to them, and that the presence of this Holy Spirit is going to allow them uh, to, to understand the relationship that he has with the Father. But not only this, that the Father revealed himself to the Son, and so the Son reveals the nature of the Father through the Spirit to his disciples. If we come to know Jesus, that gift of the Spirit is ours. We're invited to truly know God the Father, the holy, unsearchable, sovereign, mighty Father, the Father who gets down on his knees for the pig slop child and showers them with kisses. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to us, and it changes everything. I want to show you one more text. This is from Romans chapter 8. Listen to this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received a spirit of adoption with which we cry, what? Abba, Father. That is the very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if in fact we suffer with him so that we might also be glorified with him. Hinsdale Covenant Church, my dear brothers and sisters, our understanding of God the Father really matters because if we don't know him and understand him, we miss out on this. When we respond to Jesus' invitation and cry out, using his own words, Abba, Father, we are freed from the slavery of fear. We are taken out of an orphaned life and we are showered with embraces. We're lifted to our feet and we are given a new robe and a party is thrown in our honor. We're freed from the shackles of contempt and envy and we can celebrate our brother and sister who return home. 
when we cry out, Abba, Father, dearest Holy Father, we are reminded that we are his children. And if children, then we are heirs. And not only that, but we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ himself, the one who is never a prodigal, the one who is never an envious older brother, but he suffered for the sake of us. If this is not good for news for you this morning, I want you to check your pulse right now. Understand, understand that God the Father and a correct understanding of him is a life changer because it reminds us that our greatest calling, our greatest aspiration is to know that we indeed are children of a transcendent and imminent Father God, a dearest Holy Father. Would you bow your heads and Pray with me this morning. Oh Lord, we join with Jesus and we cry out, Abba, Father, dearest, most holy Father. Lord, we can't help but see ourselves in this story. Lord, for those of us here this morning who are in need of your mercy and your grace this morning, would you give it to them in abundance? Would you help them to come home to you repentant? Would you find them this day running towards you to embrace you? For those who are in need of firm correction, would you give it in abundance, Father God? Abba, Father, we are your children, and you know what we need. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, which invites us into this relationship that the Son has with the Father. Dearest Holy Father, we desire that relationship with you as your children children of the Father. May it be so, we pray in your name.